following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right. Uh, I also forgot to mention, if you did build a boat at your house, and uh, we'd love for you to take a picture and post it. Um, Everybody here made one. No, actually, they didn't. I think they should, though. Come on, you guys should make a boat. Stack those chairs up. Um, all right, this morning we are looking at uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 27, uh, where Jesus calms the storm, but also where he meets, uh, uh, challenges his disciples. So let's read together from uh, Matthew 8, verses 18 through 27. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith! Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Uh, This is a um, really a story about discipleship, and oftentimes these are divided into two different accounts. But actually, uh, verses 14 all the way through uh, chapter 9, Verse 13 are tied together with this, um, with the boat, with Jesus on the boat, either going uh, one way across the lake or coming back across the lake, and so uh, these fit together. And especially these these two accounts, uh, where Jesus challenges the dis, uh, would-be disciples and the uh, the coming of the storm, uh, are, are deeply intertwined, and they really have to do uh, a lot about discipleship. And discipleship is a word that we use as Christians. Uh, to talk about a person who is a follower of Jesus. But I think oftentimes we misunderstand what, what that really means because we've so Christianized the word uh, and because we don't really have disciples, per se, outside of Christianity. Um, we, we do, actually, but we, don't, we just use it in different terms. Uh, so, so think of it this way. Uh, if you wanted to be really good at something, how would you go about it? Say you want to be a, a really good artist and learn how to paint or draw. Or you wanted to learn an instrument like the guitar or the piano. Or maybe you want to become good at some sport like soccer or basketball. Uh, Or maybe you just want to learn how to cook really yummy food. That's why I'm hoping somebody will cook food for me that's really yummy, like my wife does. Uh, Well, how would you do that? Well, uh, in, in the world we live in today, you would probably go search some YouTube videos that would give you a basic instruction on how to do that, right? That's where you would start. Or maybe you'd take a class or an online class, and then you would probably practice 
what you learn. But let's say you decide that you, you don't want to just learn how to do it. You want to be great at it. You don't just know how to paint pictures. You want to be a master at creating world-class art. Or you want to become a brilliant musician, not just an average musician, but a brilliant musician who's world-renowned for your skill on the piano or the keyboard or as a vocalist. Um, uh, well, to do that, uh, you need a couple of things. First of all, you would probably need some kind of God-given talent, right? Um, uh, and so assuming you showed some potential, you showed some prospect that, that you, could, you could actually excel and become truly great at this, the next thing you would do, though, is not just to rely on your own uh, talent and YouTube videos, right? If you want to really become the best of the world in something, you would seek out a teacher, uh, some kind of mentor or coach who was already a master at this, right? Somebody who could do this at an extraordinary level and who knew how to teach others to do it to the highest possible level anywhere in the world. Somebody who's a master at it, right? A master pianist or a master uh, guitar player or uh, an incredible artist, right? And, and, and you would go to them and you would say, I want to be the best in the world. Would you teach me? And if they took you on, they would take you on as a disciple, right? And they wouldn't just send you a, a one-hour YouTube video. They would say, no, if, if you want to learn it at this level, if you want to become the greatest gymnast or the greatest uh, violinist in the world, this is what it's going to take. I'm going to teach you, but you're going to come every single day, and we're going to spend hours, and it's going to become your whole life, and, and you're going to be my student, I'm going to teach you everything I know, and then you're going to go home after we spent all day learning, and you're going to go home and spend even more hours practicing. That's what it takes if you want to be the best uh, in, in this field, right? Well, uh, uh, if we wanted to make that kind of sacrifice, and if we wanted to make that kind of commitment, we would, we would connect ourselves to that teacher, and they would really become Lord and Master of our life. And we would uh, spend countless hours devoted to them and to their teaching, and uh, we would really give complete obedience and trust to them, uh, at least in the, the area that they're teaching. If, if they say, do it this way, you don't say to the master teacher, well, actually, I think the way I do it is better, right? No, you would, you would follow what they say because you trust that they are the expert and they know uh, how to make you great, right? Well, that's really what this word follower or disciple means, right? It's not somebody who's just randomly following Jesus, who's just uh, curious about him and is traveling around with him, uh, what Jesus is looking for is followers who are this kind of student. Right? It's really describing this very important student-teacher relationship where Jesus is becoming a mentor over all of your life, where you're being trained up by him so that you can be like him, like the teacher. And just like an aspiring musician or artist or athlete, um, uh, you make a, a commitment, you devote yourself to that teacher if you're going to really follow all out what they are uh, teaching you to absorb and to take on the very characteristics of that teacher. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about being a follower. And the word is used in this passage often. Um, somebody who's in this uh, student-teacher relationship. And not just a teacher like, uh, like you know, our high school teacher, but uh, that we, we have to go to class. But this is the kind of teacher who gives very personal attention and training and expects total devotion and complete obedience. 
So we know why we would do that if we were going to be a great artist or a musician, right? We would know the goal is I want to be the, the best I could possibly be in that discipline or in that art. Uh, but why would we do that to become a follower of Jesus? Uh, what is it Jesus offers us? Uh, what is it that he puts out there that says, if you become you'll dis- my disciple, you will be this, right? What is it that, that would motivate us to give this kind of commitment and devotion to Jesus? And as we see, the, com- the commitment he demands is radical. So why would we do this? Why would anybody follow Jesus when he demands and expects so much from us? Uh, what is it we hope will happen in our life as a result of following him, of making him this master teacher over our life? Well, Jesus is looking for this kind of person, and, um, and the, uh, the demands are extremely high. And I really believe that there's not really a, like a middle ground. Like, well, I would like to be you know, a Christian, but not so much a follower. You know? Like, I just want to sign up for the, um, you know, the easy path. That Jesus said, you know, you've got to choose the narrow gate, right? The narrow way. Uh, and it's one of discipleship, of following Jesus, right? There's not a, another option, as we will see, and as we go through the Gospels. So let's look at this uh, account. Uh, it starts off with two uh, would-be disciples, and Jesus lays out to them what uh, is required. So let's look at the first one. Uh, and it really is this radical commitment. Okay, Jesus is asking for a radical commitment if they want to follow him. And he starts out by saying, Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Um, uh, Jesus has been teaching. He's in Capernaum right now. And this, uh, he's just come down off the mountain, if you remember from the Sermon on the Mountain. There's this huge crowd, right? And uh, Jesus, for many reasons, uh, is often trying to escape the crowd. Uh, maybe he's practicing his social distancing. I don't know. Um, uh, Jesus liked social distancing. He liked the crowd and he, he loved the crowd. He had compassion on them. But there were times when he withdrew from the crowd, probably to get rest. And as we see later, he falls asleep in the boat. He's, he's tired. He's exhausted. He needs a break. But it's also a way for Jesus to separate um, the vast crowd from true followers. right? And so Jesus uh, intentionally takes a path that only a few can join him on to find out those who really want to go with him, who really are committed to being true followers. Uh, so in this case, um, his two uh, methods of choice of narrowing down the crowd was to go up a mountain or out on a boat. And either way, the path got narrower and the number of people who could go with, with him was limited. And so in this case, he, he says, get the boat ready uh, to sail across uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, so, so as he's doing this, that's the context. There's this crowd and he's, he's told the disciples, get the boats ready and they're, they're readying the boat. So if you're at home, hopefully you have your boats ready. You guys got your boats ready? They got their boats ready. Good. He said, get the boats ready. And so it's clear, if you're in the crowd watching this, it becomes clear that, oh, uh, this is a small boat. It'll hold about 15 people. There's 5,000. Maybe I'm not going with him, Right. But out of this crew of people, there are two people who come up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to go with you. Please don't leave me behind. I want to be a follower. So the first one, it says, uh, interestingly enough, it says a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. In other words, you're not going to ditch me by just going across the lake. Right? I'm going with you. I want to go where you go. Uh, and it's, it's, it's uh, impressive that the scribe 
wanted to do this. The scribes were the, the most trained and educated people in Israel. They were experts in the Old Testament, literally experts in religious law and in all the Old Testament. So for, for this guy to make this claim that he wants to be a student of Jesus is very impressive, really. Uh, and, and we know that he wants Jesus to be, uh, that he wants that kind of relationship because he calls him teacher. He says, teacher, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you, right? And to put it in perspective, it would be something like a, uh, somebody who had already received their, their, received their Ph.D. in literature going back to college and taking a freshman class in English. Right? would be like, why would you do that? Here's a guy who's already an expert in the religious law, but he sees that Jesus has something uh, that he doesn't have, that Jesus is teaching in things he never knew. And so he wants to follow Jesus. Um, uh, so, so this guy is, um, uh, he is eager... But he's also unrealistic, right? He's eager to follow Jesus. He's eager to learn. He's eager to make himself a student. But he has not really thought through realistically what's involved with this. Um, and so, so Jesus says to him, uh, to kind of help him bring him into some reality, he says, um, foxes have holes and birds of the air have, have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, now, this wasn't completely true. Jesus did have a home base in Capernaum. Uh, but, uh, but generally speaking, Jesus could go, and on this trip for sure, Jesus is going across the lake, and as we'll see in a minute, uh, we find him sleeping in a boat in the midst of a storm. Uh, Jesus uh, warns the scribe, look, where I'm going, there's no Marriott. There's no holiday, and there's no nice hotel, right? Uh, I'm not going with tents and camping gear. Where I'm going... The foxes of the, uh, of the field and the birds of the air have more shelter than I do. Right? If you follow me, it's, it's, it's taking on a life of, a, of a, a wandering homeless person, basically. And this would have been a significant uh, sacrifice for a scribe. They were upper class people, well educated, well off. Um, and I'm not sure that he had really thought through what he was getting himself into. And so Jesus warns him. Following me is a serious commitment, and it involves hardship and maybe suffering. It, it involves leaving behind personal comfort and convenience to follow me wherever I go. He says, you think you want to go wherever I go, but where I'm going, uh, there will be no roof over our head. And Jesus is speaking here, of course, of the immediate next couple of days, but it's a picture of the kind of commitment that it takes to follow Jesus. Um, the, the, the bottom line is this, that Jesus is not saying here that we have to have some kind of martyr complex to follow him. The goal here is not sacrifice, right? Jesus is not saying, if you really want to follow me, go sacrifice something. Go give up something like maybe people do at Lent. But that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, well, if you want to follow me, you have to go sell your home and become homeless. But that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is this, that uh, if you want to follow Jesus wherever he leads, you must be willing to go wherever he goes, whatever the cost. Right? Whatever the cost. The goal is following Jesus. Right? And, and uh, Jesus may not lead us to a place where we have to make huge sacrifices, but if he does, are you willing to sacrifice whatever it takes, whatever it costs, to follow him? Um, and Jesus warns in many places uh, that the path is difficult. It is not a path filled with ease and comfort, right? Um, it will have times of sacrifice. 
Uh, so so he, he, this is part of this radical commitment to follow Jesus. It means a willingness uh, to give up whatever is required to follow Jesus, to do what he asks. Uh, then there's a second person uh, who comes along. Um, um, and, and for this person, it's a little different. He's a little bit the opposite. He is realistic, but not really all that eager. <laughs> Uh, another of the disciples uh, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. What's interesting, in both of these cases, uh, these are guys who are not part of the crowd in the sense that they were just a distant observers, that they were people who were casually interested in Jesus. They both want to identify themselves as followers. In fact, Matthew calls this guy another disciple. Uh, now, a disciple uh, for us means somebody who's all in, who's fully committed. But uh, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, especially early on, a disciple was anybody who was making some steps or some, some uh, decision to follow Jesus seriously, right? but, but not always with the level of commitment that Jesus demanded. And that was the case with this guy. He was a disciple. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he was realistic about what, is, what was involved. And he saw that it would, it would involve making choices about what was important in his life, uh, that, that following Jesus and, and going with me, Jesus meant leaving behind other things, right? And in this case, it meant leaving behind family, and specifically his father. And he says, first let me, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I want to be a disciple, but I have commitments and obligations and duties to family. Uh, chances are this was a firstborn son, and a, there was a lot of responsibility on a firstborn son in terms of taking care of their parents, especially around the, uh, their death. Now, it probably does not mean here that this guy is saying, hey, my dad just died and the funeral's going on right now. Right? Probably not what's happening here. If that were the case, he wouldn't even be with Jesus. He would be at home attending uh, to the details of the funeral. There's two possible things that could be going on here. One, it could be that um, uh, his father had not died yet, and the phrase... Uh, to bury my father was a phrase that I need to look after my dad until he dies. He's old and he's going to die sometime, maybe this month, maybe next month, maybe 20 years from now. We don't know. But uh, I need to be home and take care of him until he dies. That would be one way. Another option is that um, his father could have already died. And uh, as we know, the tombs, the way it worked in Israel... Uh, they would put the body into a, a tomb, as they did with Jesus, and they would wait for uh, the body to decompose, and after about a year, they would go back into the tomb. That's why it had a stone, uh, that they could go back into the tomb, and they would collect the bones, and they would put it in a vault or a box in the wall. Uh, so perhaps that was the case, that as the eldest son, uh, he was waiting for that time when he would go gather the bones and, and, and take care of them. Um, now, now, to us, it seems um, uh, we, we, we may not identify with this because we, we don't have the same sense of duty. But for the Jews, uh, tending to these obligations was extremely important. It was serious business. And, um, and so this guy was, I think, caught in this great turmoil. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be a disciple. But he felt the pull of family duties and obligations, whatever they were. Right? His commitments to take care of his family. All right. And it's important to note that Jesus is not saying here that following me means neglecting duty to family. 
Okay, Jesus is not saying here, your family doesn't matter. You know, who cares about your dad? Just ignore him. Um, uh, although Jesus' words are pretty harsh. Let the dead bury their dead, right? Uh, either let the spiritually dead take care of the physically dead. Or maybe Jesus literally meant, let the dead people in the tombs go and gather up those bones and put them in the box. We don't know. Um, but it's harsh, right? It's, it's, it's uh, kind of in your face. And the idea is that um, duty to family is important, but it can never be more important than following Jesus, right? He's not telling him to neglect his family. In fact, later Jesus will emphasize the importance of honoring parents. But what he's saying is this. Following Jesus is a greater priority than even family obligations and duties. Jesus must come first, even above mother and father. Um, And the way it worked in Jesus' day to be a disciple, the way to connect to him as a teacher meant literally following him. Right? They, they couldn't do online classes. There was no Zoom. Uh, they had to go. If you're going to learn from Jesus, if you're going to show up for class, you had to be with him. And he says, look, if you want to be with me, if you want to learn what I have to teach you, you've got to show up for class. Right? You've got to be here. And I will teach you to be a better son. I will teach you to be a better father and a better husband. I will teach you how to be a better friend. But I can't teach you if you don't show up for class. Uh, following me means putting aside all those other things and making Jesus absolutely first. Not to neglect family, but so that you can really love and care for your family the way Jesus will teach you. So so we see here that uh, Jesus does call for this radical commitment. Uh, If we were to summarize those things, we could say that to follow Jesus means uh, making a commitment that he is more important than anything that we will follow him at all costs, anywhere he leads at any time. Right? So, that's the expectation. That's what it means to be a disciple. It takes that kind of commitment. There is no such thing as like, well, I'll just, I'll just watch from a distance. Right? Uh, there's no such thing as casually uh, following Jesus. Right? It, it takes all-in commitment. Um, so then there's a story. Uh, so the boat's ready now, and, and uh, they're ready to get in. And it says in verse 23 that, And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Uh, and I just love that. It's easy to overlook the importance of these words, but they are powerful. Right? When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Well, who were his disciples? Well, the people who made a definite decision to get in the boat with him. Right? Now, we don't know what these two guys decided. We, we don't know if they, uh, in the end, got in the boat or not. It doesn't say. Uh, it kind of implies that maybe they didn't. Uh, but, but Jesus makes it clear that the real disciples, his true followers, were the ones who followed him, who actually got in the boat with him and uh, followed. Uh, and it, it, was a, it was a definite, specific decision. Right? You're standing on the shore... And so if you're at home and you have your boat, or if you're here and you have your boat, right? Um, you know, you're either in the boat or you're not. You're either outside the boat or you're in it. And to get in the boat, you have to make a decision to step in, right? Uh, to follow Jesus. And, and so Jesus is there in the boat with you. And you decide, I want to go with him. And I make a choice above family, above friends, above career choices, above comfort, 
I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. It's a choice that they made. And they got in and they went. Right? So have you got in the boat? Right? Have you made that decision to follow Jesus? Wherever he goes, whatever it takes to learn what he teaches and commands and to follow him. Alright, so hopefully if you're at home, you're in the boat. If you're here, you're in the boat. Ooh, there's a boat. Well, somebody, uh, Mike's got a, he's got a fancy boat. I like that boat. Um, uh, and the idea is that, uh, not just that you're in the boat, but that you're in the boat with Jesus, right? That they don't want to miss out, these disciples don't want to miss out one second, one minute with the teacher, with their mentor, right? Now what's also interesting as we, as we, as we read on, we see that uh, Jesus' words prove very true, that it, it's not easy. Because right into the trip, they don't get very far, and all of a sudden it says, Behold, soon there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Uh, but he was asleep, okay? So at this point, if you're in the boat, we need to simulate the storm, so you get out your fan, get out your, your water. <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have our... We'll have our water fight. <laughs> right? There's a storm. The waves are breaking over. The wind is blowing and howling. <sighs> right? Uh, good excuse. We couldn't do Songkran, so we have to have a, we have to have a water fight now. Right? Um, there was a storm, and it was it, literally the words that's used here. It's not just a storm. It's actually the word that's used for uh, an earthquake. Right? It was an earthquake, an earth-shattering storm. Some commentators believe that, it could, that the language represents uh, maybe even a satanic attack, right? Uh, that it was Satan that hurled this wind at the, at the sea. That Satan was trying to sink the ship. And certainly when we get in the boat with Jesus, very quickly, that decision is going to be tested, right? Uh, Jesus is, I mean, Satan is going to bring hardship. He's going to attack. He's going to make you regret that you made that choice so that you will turn back, Right? You will decide, oh, I'm not following Jesus. It is too hard. Um, um, and it's important to note here that following Jesus clearly does not mean things will be easy, that there will be no storms, that there will be no attacks, that, that we will somehow always be safe and life will be easy. Right? There will always be storms. Um, but what's incredible in the midst of all this, and I don't even know how this is possible, but as this uh, wind is blowing and the, the waves are growing bigger and they're crashing over the, over the boat and the boat is beginning to fill up with water as the waves break over into the boat. And in the back it says, uh, Jesus uh, was asleep. Right? asleep. Now, I don't know how that is even possible. Um, crazy storm going on uh, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Um, and, and we see this, this great picture of Jesus in his humanity. Right? He was fully human. And, and he got worn out. He got tired. Uh, the constant teaching, the constant uh, ministry, the constant travel. Um, he was not Superman. And there came times when he uh, was worn out. Um, my phone's ringing. <laughs> um, and so here's Jesus in, in the ship, uh, worn out, tired, asleep. Um, but it's also a picture of somebody who knows what it means to be have a life that's in perfect peace, right? How do you sleep in the midst of a storm? Well, uh, especially a violent storm. Well, it's a mark of somebody who knows their life is in God's hands, right? 
<laughs> Take my phone. Um, uh, it's, it's the mark of somebody who knows that the, their life is in God's hands, right? That God is taking care of them. Uh, Jesus is fully aware of who he is. And Jesus knows what he came to do. And he knows that the goal for, G- for him is the cross, right? And he knows that nothing can happen in his life until he comes to the cross. right? There's nothing that can destroy him. Nothing Satan can do to short-circuit God's plan for him and God's purpose for him until he comes to the cross, right? And so Jesus is a picture of a life free from fear and worry because he knows God will bring him to the end. God will fulfill and complete all the purpose and plan he has for him. But that is not the picture of the disciples, right? The the disciples are not a picture of peace and calm, right? Instead, they are a picture of people in panic mode. Right? They are freaked out. And they come to Jesus and they wake him up screaming at him, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. We are dying here. Right? Of course, the risk was uh, that, that if the ship got too full of water uh, from the waves crashing in, it would sink. And out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they would all die. And so they cried out, Lord, save us. Um, and, and that was the right prayer. Uh, they went to the right person, and they cried out for Jesus to help them. Uh, but Jesus rebukes them. Uh, Jesus is not impressed with their prayer request. <laughs> and he, he says to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Uh, they, they prayed the right thing, but in the wrong spirit. Right? There was something off about their, 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 their prayer. And the word there, why are you afraid, literally Jesus calls them cowards. He's not just being afraid. He says, you cowards. <laughs> you cowards. Why are you so afraid? And it's interesting that, especially in Matthew's account, that Jesus deals with the disciples before he deals with the storm. Right? The storm's still crashing and, and raging, but Jesus feels it's more important to deal with the, dis- the disciples and their faith than it is to deal with the storm. So he addresses them first. Now, what's really encouraging about this, um, I love this picture, because here are some people who are true followers of Christ, right? Who have made a clear and specific decision to follow Jesus. They got in the boat with him. Um, But these are not people of giant faith. In fact, it says, Jesus says to them, why are you so, uh, have such little faith? And the idea here is not uh, only that their faith is small, because Jesus later says that even faith as small as a mustard seed can do great things. But really it's an idea that their faith is inadequate. Their faith is, is not enough, right? And so here's an important thing that we need to, we need to learn from this. And it's this. Uh, making the decision to follow Jesus um, does not, is not something we do when we have enough faith. Right? A lot of times we think, well, I want to follow Jesus and I want to make that radical commitment. I see people who are so godly and they have such faith. And when I get to that level of faith, I'll do that, right? But I'm just not there yet. My faith is still weak. My faith is still small. So I'll wait until my faith grows and gets bigger and then I'll make that kind of decision to follow Jesus. After I've really grown in the Lord. So we, we, we sit in this holding pattern, waiting, hoping that our faith will grow strong enough that one day we can make that decision to be a real follower of Christ. But Scripture makes it clear that it doesn't work that way. Right? They decided to follow Christ. 
even though their faith was little and actually quite inadequate. But the important thing was they got in the boat, right? They, they did it. They got in the boat and they followed Jesus even when their faith was weak and, and feeble and in the end failed them completely and left them uh, cowardly and afraid. But they had chosen to follow Jesus. And here's the problem. If we think that we're going to make that decision to really follow Jesus when our faith gets bigger, our faith will never grow. Our faith grows by getting in the boat and uh, by facing those storms where we uh, come to the point of thinking we're going to die, but we learn the faithfulness of Jesus who is with us. Right? That's where faith grows is when we take those steps with Him, when we are in the boat with Him. It is not about the amount of faith, but it is about our willingness to choose and follow Him and let God save us along the way. Um, What was really lacking in their faith? Well, it's interesting, you know, they did pray to Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't believe, and they asked Jesus to save them. They actually did have some faith. why does Jesus, though, criticize their faith? What was missing in their faith? Well, um, I think what was missing was this. was this overwhelming confidence that as long as Jesus was in the boat, there was no possible way their, their, their ship could sink. Because Jesus was a Messiah so much greater than what they understood. This was their shortcoming. Uh, they, they knew that Jesus was a teacher, they had connect themselves with him because they knew he maybe was a prophet, uh, was a rabbi. Maybe even some of them understood Jesus as the Messiah, as the promised one. But the problem is that they did not understand what that really meant. They were still thinking of a Jesus who was very human. They could understand Jesus who was in the boat asleep, right? Um, what they didn't understand was that Jesus was the Son of God who had come to die on the cross, and that until his time was right, there was absolutely nothing in the world that could come along that could sink his ship. Right? That, could, that, that Jesus absolutely could not fail in his mission. Right? Imagine if they had known that, if they had understood what Jesus was about, what his mission was, and they knew absolutely that Jesus could not fail, they'd be like, yeah, this storm is no big deal. It can't kill us. Because we're in, a guy, we're in the boat with the guy who's bulletproof who is unsinkable, right? But they did not understand who Jesus was. Uh, so, so what does this have to do with us in our life? You know, we live in a time and an age where we're not literally following Jesus, right? Jesus is not here. We're not actually literally getting in the boat with him. And in their day, uh, to follow Jesus meant literally getting in the boat. It meant literally following Jesus everywhere he went to learn from him. Because there was no Zoom There was no online class. You had to be with Jesus to learn. Uh, But Jesus is not here now, and so we can't follow him around. So how do we follow Jesus? What does it look like today to follow Jesus? Well, it it means ultimately what they were doing, mostly, was learning from him. But they followed him not just to see what he was doing and to see where he went, but to learn from him, like to have that mentoring relationship. And that's what it means. Not necessarily to get in a boat or to follow Jesus somewhere because he's in heaven. Um, But it does mean to learn from him, right? To devote our lives to learning from him everything he wants to teach us. 
And we do that, of course, through his word. Thankfully, we have Jesus teaching and his instruction in his life in scripture. And so we can study the word and learn from him. And we can learn from those who know him. So the Gospels record Jesus' actual words, but then we have the writings of Peter and Paul and others who teach us what, what Jesus is about. And then we, we, we have pastors and teachers and, and other, others who have grown who are, who are followers of Jesus who can teach us. So, so being a follower means, first of all, being a student who's diligent to learn all that Jesus taught who he really is and what his life is about. Secondly, being a follower, though, isn't just learning. It's not just hearing the word, but it's doing all that he commanded us to do. Right? We are to be like him. We are to be his representatives on earth. And the way we, we do that is to, is to be around him through his teaching and through his word. Right? If you want to be a great musician, you study with a, a great musician to learn to play the piano like they do. We hang out with Jesus to learn how to be holy, godly people who represent the glory and majesty of God like Jesus did. Even though we are broken, sinful beings, we can learn from Jesus how to be like Him. But also so that we can be on mission with Him in the world. We're to be His representatives who live out uh, doing His work with Him here and now. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, showing people uh, through our life and through our ministry who Jesus is. Uh, as we'll see, uh, the last phrase of, of the gospel of the Matthew, teaching others to be disciples, to uh, uh, to learn all they can, so and to do all that He commands. So we don't go where Jesus goes necessarily, but we go where He sends, where we follow follow Him by going where He sends us by walking in obedience to the things he commands. Um, So one last question we need to answer. Uh, And the question is, why would we do that, right? Why would we make such a radical commitment to Jesus, right? Uh, What what is, uh, another way to put it is, what is the right reason to follow him? What what should be our motivation to follow Christ? Uh, And let's just close with a couple thoughts about our motivation. Why would we make this radical commitment to follow Jesus? Um, first, let's look at the, the wrong reasons. And I think a lot of Christians are confused and they follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. And I can think of two big ones in this passage that are important to highlight. Why we should not follow Jesus. First of all, we should not follow Jesus because we think he promises to make life easy. Right? The, the passage here teaches that clearly. That's not what it's about. Uh, too many people come to Jesus thinking that he will solve their problems and make life a lot easier that he will uh, make everything work out the way we want. Uh, now, the truth is, Jesus will solve our problems, right? He will solve all of our problems, but not the way we think. And the, and the real issue is that we don't understand what our real problem is. Right? We think our real problem is uh, we need more money, or we need more happiness, or we need more success. But Jesus says, no, the real problem is you are selfish, and you are proud, and you are stubborn, and you are filled with lust and greed and evil. Right? Jesus is going to solve those problems in our life through the cross. Right? But it is a painful work of God ripping out that junk out of our life. Right? Like pulling weeds out of a garden. It's not a pretty sight. And it, it's, it, 
it tears things up in our life as God pulls the junk out of our life. And certainly, Jesus never made any promise to make our life easy or to do things the way we want, right? Uh, uh, he, uh, it, it is not about what we want, right? Uh, and in fact, in just a few more chapters, Jesus is going to talk about how his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? Uh, there is something easy about the life with Jesus, but not the way we want it easy. We want it easy meaning I get my own way. And Jesus never promised that, right? And, and in fact, oftentimes it will require suffering and hardship and difficulty and certainly sacrifice. A second reason, uh, that a bad reason, wrong reason to follow Jesus is not because he promises safety. Now, the first one that he doesn't promise comfort, most of us probably get that one. But I think there's this, there's this mistaken idea that if I follow Jesus, he will keep me safe. Maybe not easy, but safe. That God will never let me walk into danger. Um, and, and the reality is that Jesus never promised that. Uh, there are too many accounts of people in the Bible and in the 2,000 years since of people who died for the sake of Christ, right? Who God did not protect. God never promised that He would keep you from danger, He never promised that, that your ship would never sink, right? Uh, that you would never encourage, encounter such horrible suffering that it overwhelmed you, that it wiped you out, that it took you out. But what he does promise is this. He promises that, is that your ship will not sink until it's time. Right? Uh, Jesus uh, was safe on the boat, but ultimately Jesus went to the cross. The cross was not safe. Right? It, was, it was horrible, and it was, it was death, right? But Jesus had the guarantee that his ship would not sink until it's time. Right? Uh, so, so here's, the, here's the, the truth for us. Why do we follow Jesus? Well, we follow Jesus ultimately because we know who he is. Right? The, the, the account ends this way in verse 27. And the men, the, those followers, marveled, saying, What kind of man is this? What sort of person is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Right? They were blown away by this miracle, as I think we would all be. I mean, you can imagine this raging storm, violent winds, huge waves. And at a word, Jesus rebukes that. And, and by the way, the word rebuke is, is the word that Jesus used when he rebuked evil spirits. Right? He doesn't just say, uh, hey, if you could give us a break here. Right? No, he, he rebukes the wind. And with power and authority. And instantly, it goes from raging storm to calm. Like to glassy, calm sea. And, and the wind is gone. Right? And at his word, the power of uh, I mean, the elements of nature, the powerful elements of nature, follow his command. Right? And they say, what kind of person is this? Right? Uh, maybe they believed he was a teacher. Maybe, maybe they believed he was the Messiah. But this takes it to a whole other level. In the Old Testament, the only one who had power over the elements of, of, of nature, over oceans, over raging storms, was God himself. Right? What, what sort of person is this who can go from being asleep in the boat to commanding the wind and the waves and they obey him? Well, of course, the answer is clearly 
uh, he is not just man, but he's God. Right? He is God. He's the incarnate God come from heaven into human flesh. Uh, the creator and Lord over all creation. And this is why we follow him, right? Because of who Jesus is, Lord of all creation. Uh, because he made us, because he made all of heaven and earth, and ultimately because he came to save us. Right? When they spoke those words, Lord, save us, we are dying, they spoke so much more than they knew. Because Jesus didn't come only to save us from physical danger. He didn't only come to help us in the midst of COVID-19. But he came because we are spiritually dead. And we need spiritual salvation. Uh, We follow him because he alone is the God who can save us. Not only from the storms of this life, but of the eternal raging fire of judgment. Uh, So we follow Jesus because of who he is, Lord of creation, God, Savior. Uh, But we also follow him because he cannot fail. And that's what was missing in their faith. Jesus can't fail in his mission. He's God. And so if you're with Jesus, this is how it works. You can't fail either. You can't fail. As long as you are with him, as long as you are following him, God's purpose and plan for your life is indestructible. Now the footnote here is God's purpose and plan for your life could mean suffering and death, right? It could mean getting wiped out by something, and that's part of the plan. But the good news is your ship is not going to sink until it's time, right? Your life is safe. God has got you until his full purpose for your life is completed, right? Nothing, Satan, the storms of life, not even the coronavirus, can derail God's purpose for your life. If you're with Jesus, you cannot fail. Right? So do we need to worry? No. Right? There, there's a peace that comes with that, the kind of peace that Jesus knew that allowed him to fall asleep in the back of the ship, knowing that, hey, God has got me. And... and I don't know what the end is, but I know that I'm going to make it to the end. And I'm going to be successful in what God has for me as long as I follow him. As long as I make that commitment to be a true, committed disciple. Um, No matter how difficult the storms may be, no matter how much the, 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 the wind rages, no matter how much things around us seem like they are just out of control, we can have peace, right? We can sleep well at night because we know that uh, God has us in his hands until his mission for us is completed and successful. Right? So the question is, uh, did you get in the boat, right? Are you, are, have you made that, that firm decision and commitment to get in the boat with Jesus, right? Uh, or are you like the scribe and the other disciple were like, well, I want to, but I don't know if I want to pay the price. Right? Uh, follow Jesus. Make that decision to follow him. Even if your faith is not there yet, make the choice to get in the boat with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come and we just acknowledge that you are God. 
creator of heaven and earth, Lord over the storms and Lord over the oceans, Lord over time and eternity. And Lord, we thank you that you're also Savior, that you came and took on human flesh. You came and allowed yourself to become tired and worn out and weary to experience all that we experience as human beings so that you could one day go to the cross and lay down your life as a sacrifice for our sin to save us. Uh, Lord, help us to know fully who you are and to joyfully and, uh, and with really no other option follow you all out, all out. Lord, that we would make you, you our ultimate teacher, our mentor and our coach to show us how to live and to show us what to do to be successful, to fulfill your purpose and will for our life. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the peace that, that comes with it. Lord, that we don't have to worry because we know our life is in your hands and you are taking care of us step by step until the journey is done. Uh, you will you will care for us. You will watch over us. You will bring us through every storm. And you will make us successful. So we praise you and we give you thanks and we just now turn to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.